Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. I want to talk about um, how I engage with the visual arts and God and how I link the two. And more specifically than that, I want to engage with meaning and having meaning through the visual arts. Because I subscribe to a style of art, and it's a prominent idea in art at the moment, which is that art should be meaningless. And I agree with that. So how do you come at it as a Christian? So the first thing I'd like to do is just a very brief um, art history lesson. In a couple of minutes, just we can all get to the same level, we can go from there. So, (laughs) art history history, uh, is broken into two sections. We've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament of art history. 1850 is that middle point. Before that is the Old Testament. After that is the New Testament. So the old idea of art is um, that, well, all, all the ideas, it, the prominent idea throughout all of it is that all art mimics the highest form of art. Now, throughout art history, the highest form of art has been literature. With the Greeks and the Romans, it was sculpture. But after that, we had the Bible and we had literature. And it dominated the art world. And so all painting, all printmaking, all sculpture, all related to literature and the Bible, and related to words. Now, mathematics and science and architecture had its moments, but it all came back to literature, basically. And then 1850 happened, and we had um, our version, oh, sorry, the art world version of John the Baptist, which was Monet, and he came and started to break down these ideas of what art could be. And he showed that art was an object, and he pointed a way forward, but he got the road ready for the man to arrive. The man to shatter everything and create new art, and that was Picasso. He came along and destroyed art and rebuilt it into what we have currently, which is its objects. Art is objects. It's no longer needed an image on it to justify its position. It no longer needs to have words to back up its reason for existence. Its own objectness is its reason for existence. So, that's where we are now at art. That is the current idea in art, and we have to engage that way, otherwise we're engaging in old ideas, and we're no longer relevant, and this is a better idea, that art is an object, and it isn't words, and it doesn't connect to words, it is separate from it, and it's a good idea, so we should stick to it. <laughs> so, we are postmodern. You can't get out of that. We're postmodern. And postmodern is so squirmy that any attempt to get out of it is so postmodern. So, we're, we're stuck there. <laughs> All right. So, the first problem with being a Christian artist and engaging in contemporary art is that our understanding of God and Christianity comes through words. And we've already established that words don't work. Because if a word 
can describe a painting, then the painting isn't doing any work. The words are doing the work. So it has to stand on its own. If you can say it in words, then it doesn't need a picture. So, um, let me get to my notes. Yep, all right. So, it has to exist outside of words, but we've only got the words in our head, and we've got the Bible. This is my Bible. We've got the Bible, and we've got the words in our head. But that's it. So, any story or any meaning you might have before you start painting is words, and it automatically limits what an image can be if it's stuck to words. So you have to get rid of words. The next problem is that the ideas that I can come up with are only as big as me. They're only as tall as I can be. So if I want a bigger idea in art, it has to be bigger than me, which means it can't come from in here because that's what I've got. That's my size. And I can't get out of that, so something else has to be outside of that to get a bigger idea of art. So we've got the Bible to give us bigger ideas, but they're all words. So if you have the biggest idea in art, sorry, in the Bible, which would be perfect sacrifice, which is the point at which the whole thing turns, and it's a revolutionary idea, that changes the way that we view ourselves and the way we view the world and the way we view God. But I can say it clearly in words. So it's said, there it is. Now, I love Giotto and Caravaggio and these old artists, and I can't wait to stand in front of a Caravaggio crucifixion. But the unfortunate truth is that what the Bible says is clearer than what Caravaggio and what Giotto can do. They can't compare to the words. So what have we got to do? As a Christian artist, what have we got? What we've got are the formal elements of art. These are the ideas that God set down when he designed the universe. Because the universe is an object, and I'm an object, and we're existing inside this object. So we exist in an object world. So he's given us some things, which are colour, shape, proportion, scale, balance, texture... There's a seventh one, but I think but, but we invented that, so it's not God's one. So those are the ideas that we have to work with. That's what God worked with when he created the tree. Does the tree have a meaning to it for its existence? Its object is enough for it to exist. We don't have to put a meaning to it. I like the scripture, Corinthians 13.9. Now our knowledge is incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. 
and creativity is prophecy. We're creating something new. So therefore, meaningless painting will have a meaning. And there's a weird thing that happens that when the more meaning I put into it, the less powerful the image is. And the less meaning I put into it, the more powerful it is. So why does that work? Why can't I control it? And that is the problem, because I am controlling it. So if I just do what God's given me to do, which is the formal elements, and then leave room for him to do the other stuff, then I only know in part. If I control the whole thing by having a meaning to start with, and then I control the elements, and then I say what it's about, I've limited it to me, to how big I am. So, by locking the door to meaning, I allow God to do his work. And it's a neat way to view life as well, that I like to view my life, in that I don't have to come up with a big meaning or purpose for myself. That... If I just stay connected to God and stay connected to his community and do the things he's given me to do well, he will provide the meaning and the purpose. I don't have to create that because that's his job. I only know in part. I can't know in full. So my final thought is that the things that we've been given to do, we have to do well. If we do them half-heartedly, then it limits how much God can do it for some reason. I don't know why that is. I mean, he can still use the stuff that we use, the scraps that we have. We can use that. But if it costs us more, he seems to put more of himself into it as well. Um, So, final scripture is... Let me get to it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. It's easy to read that as a direction for morality. But in my studio practice, I like that scripture as a meditation for a direction for aesthetics. So whatever is true... We know now that what makes a true object is its objectness. So is it being true to itself or am I using a crutch to give it power, which in turn makes it weaker? Is it noble? And this is what, when we look at art too, we, as a Christian, look at these things and it helps us to view art in what it really is. Is it true? Is it noble? Which means, from, in my head, which, are the materials doing their job properly? Are the materials noble? Uh, is the paper that I'm using and the charcoal and the stretches and the space that I'm using, is it true to itself and noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? These are all aesthetic ideas and then if they're all there, then it's excellent. And if it's excellent and I'm in church and in community and I'm with God, then he can do the rest. I've set the platform and then it's his to do his thing with That's it.
That is awesome. Shout Chris a coffee afterwards. I'll seem to explain what that meant. That'll be great. Mel, hopefully you picked up something. I didn't understand everything he said. I like those one-liners that he moves on then. Says some big, artistic, thoughtful things, but uh, some really cool stuff there. Very cool. Let God work through the artist. Okay, so uh, where's Michael Samuel? Here he is. Welcome, Michael, please. Thank you, Chris. Um, your talk uh, reminded me of a great quote by Oscar Wilde, um, which was, all art is quite useless. And um, that, that wasn't an anti-art quote at all. I mean, obviously, he's a, he's a literate, literature giant. Um, what he meant was that um, great art doesn't need to serve an extrinsic purpose. Um, it's beautiful in and of itself. When you look at the sunrise, do you really say to yourself, thank you, God, that is so good for the Australian economy, that sunrise, <laughs> you know? Um, so Pastor Chris uh, asked me to talk to you today about um, creativity in the field of music, uh, which tends to translate for me as uh, creativity on the guitar, which is my primary instrument. And I actually feel like a little bit of a fraud to get up and talk about this because 2016 has been one of the most unmusical, un-guitar-driven years of my life. And um, there, are, there are good reasons for that, and I don't have time to, to go into that. But, um, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a topic that I love to share uh, with you and to address um, with you guys. So um, I'd just like to share the first a verse. Thanks, guys, if you could put that on the screen. It's Psalm 33, verse 3. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp. Some translations say play skillfully on the strings. And sing with joy. I love the last bit of that, um, uh, that passage. Play skillfully um, on, and sing with joy. And some translations say shout with joy. Because playing skillfully is the very opposite of shouting loudly, really. It takes um, years and years to develop a level of expertise and uh, dexterity on an instrument that I would say is skillful. And yet when you shout or you sing with joy, that's, that's a sort of spontaneous utterance of uh, everything that's moving inside you. So I, I love the kind of contradiction in that. And as musicians of excellence, we want to combine those two things. We want the, the hard work, we want the spirit of excellence that comes with skill, but we also want the element of spontaneity and um, joy that comes with the loud shout. Okay? And, uh, I mean, I find as a listener the best musicians tend to do that. Um, one of my musical heroes is a man named Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett, he's a giant in the uh, jazz world. And he's a very, uh, he's, he's like a world-class um, jazz and classical pianist. And um, he became famous in the 1970s performing uh, a series of completely improvised solo piano concerts. And um, he still performs to this day. Um, but in 1996, he developed chronic fatigue syndrome, which was quite 
debilitating in his case. And in the early stages of having that disease, he would wake up in the morning and he would want to go and practice the piano. But it was so much effort just to get out of bed and go to the music room and uncover the piano that he would need to lie down again. And this went on for weeks and weeks. He'd wake up in the morning, want to practice, go to the music room, uncover the piano, uh, then he'd need to lie down again. He hadn't even started playing. Eventually, he had enough energy to practice for five minutes at a time, five minutes before needing a lie down. And then after a very lengthy uh, convalescence of about two years, I think it was, he completely resumed his um, performing and touring schedule. But he said something very interesting in an interview um, about his chronic fatigue later. He said chronic fatigue was actually a tremendous educator. And I thought, well, what on earth does he mean by that, educator? I would, if I had that for a long period of time, I would not be thinking, uh, thank you, God, for this lesson. I would. And um, what he meant was this, that um, in this period of kind of gradually getting better, he would go to the piano and he would pl- pl- just be practicing his jazz standard or his piece of music. And every now and then he had this tendency to want to put a little like show-offy trill in it, a little... Some of you guys know what jazz pianists sound like. They're all over the keyboard. It's very technically demanding music to play. So he'd be playing his music with a little... And um, every time he did that, he would start to feel really tired. And so what he realized was that um, the sickness was his central nervous system's way of letting him know when he was putting unnecessary notes in the music. And so he ended up actually using that to his advantage um, and as a way of refining his piano playing and taking the kind of excess baggage out of it. And I really related to that story of Keith Jarrett's because for about the last three or four years, I've been actively... Uh, trying to take the excess baggage out of um, my guitar playing. And um, I I don't want to play anything that's unnecessary, particularly up here um, with the the rest of the band, and and I will be playing soon because I'm back on the roster. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to play anything that doesn't sound anointed, to use our Pentecostal word that we love. And... um, (laughs) Um, and, and so uh, it's very important that we make that shift from I exalt me. I want everyone to know how hard I practice. So I'm going to blah, 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 and blah, 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 to my heart's content. And we want to make that shift from I exalt me to I exalt thee. Um, so, so how do we make that shift? Well, there's a few things. Uh, discipline is the first thing. Discipline is not a very sexy topic to talk about. It's not easy to get excited about talking about discipline, um, but it is crucial. And um, I- increasingly, I find that we live in a world that valorizes creativity and innovation, and yet we also live in a world that, um, where most people loathe the idea of self-discipline and uh, perseverance. And I see that a lot as a high school teacher. Um, and... <laughs> And, and we need both those things. Now, that discipline is going to look different for different people. Um, it may mean that you play the scales with a metronome to keep you in time for 20 minutes every day. 
Um, there was a point in my own musical development where I felt it was necessary to write out every major and minor scale um, by, by hand and learn it all over the, the fretboard of the guitar um, in the 12 different tonal centres. Um, and, and so, you know, I did that in a sort of painstaking, laborious way. Um, but the purpose of learning a scale is not to be really good at playing a scale. The purpose of learning a scale is to develop a level of literacy and facility in a language so that you no longer have to consciously think about it. Now, in a room this size, there must be one or two people that know a foreign language quite well. I know there are people that know Russian here. And, and you really know when you've learnt a language well when you start thinking in that language. You no longer have to make that laborious translation from Russian to English, English to Russian before it gets to your voice box. Okay, and so that's what we need to develop. So that's discipline, and, um, and I, I don't have time to, to go into that too much more. Just to say that um, primarily that's something that's developed in the private place. Great things generally are done in private. David fought a lion and a bear when no one was looking, so God could trust him to defeat Goliath when everyone was looking. Um, it is true that great things often are, you know, are done in public sphere and stuff, but most of the time uh, they're done in private. So for me, that's when both boys are in bed, it's when Sarah's watching MasterChef, which I hate, and and so it is not difficult to go and practice at that point. Okay, so that's discipline. Uh, The next thing is this, how you listen is more important than what you play. How you listen to other musicians, the drummers, the bass players, the singers, the keyboarders, is more important than what you play. Um, the great talk show host interviewers, uh, something I've learned from those guys is that the person who is in charge of the conversation is the one who's asking the appropriate questions at the right time. You know, someone on television that used to really impress me um, was Andrew Denton. I haven't seen him a lot on TV lately, but he was such a canny interviewer. He was so good at interviewing those famous people. And he, he only said about 10 words every minute. But because every question was so well researched and, um, and placed appropriately, he was in complete uh, control of the conversation. And um, I think we can learn something from that as uh, musicians because just as a, a question precedes an answer in conversation, um, so listening always needs to precede playing as a musician. That's the musical uh, corollary of that principle, if you like. And uh, particularly up here when, you know, we've got seven or eight musicians and you, you just need to be listening to what, what the other people are doing so you respond appropriately. Otherwise, you're just seven or eight talented individuals. Um, and you're not a unit, and you want to be a unit. Though we are many, we are one body, that kind of thing. That's Romans 12, uh, 5. Okay, so how you listen is more important than what you play. Um, and guys, the last thing I, I want to share is uh, just this idea, um, that in order to improvise successfully, you do actually need an underlying structure to work from. Um, we tend to think of improvising as uh, the opposite of structure, like isn't it just making stuff up on the spot? 
Um, yes, it is creating on the spot, but it's not just anything. It's not just anything goes. Uh, you do need an underlying structure. And, and what I mean by that is, is this. Um, let's say that I'm leading a time of free worship up here. And um, uh, I'm playing the guitar and, and you guys are joining in as a, a corporate congregation. And um, I want us to focus on the verse from 1 John that says, you know, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to play something that conveys the, the brilliance in that verse. Now, if I say to myself, okay, Michael, um, you're only going to play the top three strings of the guitar while you improvise. In me giving myself that limitation, it actually is more freeing than if I just had to come up with anything. So, so, and that's a kind of creative uh, paradox, um, and it doesn't make sense in a, in a way, um, but you do need that underlying structure. And, and that's true for things like parenting too. Like it's much better as a parent to say to a four- or five-year-old before dinner, let's say, Okay, Johnny, you can go play outside. Just don't go past the telegraph pole that's three doors up. Rather than if you say to that child, oh, okay, Johnny, there's the front door, go wild. Just come back at six o'clock. If you give them that instruction, it's, it causes a lot of anxiety. They, just, they don't know what the boundaries are. They don't sort of know what's forbidden and what's allowed. Um, so that, that's what I mean when I say um, you do need an underlying structure to improvise. Now... Um, that's all I wanted to say, guys, but I, I just wanted to finish on uh, this second uh, verse of mine, and I had no idea that Chris was going to refer to this either, so that's good. Um, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, the media um, would have us believe that we live in a world that's rife with ugliness, um, and uh, uh, and a lot of bad stuff happens, but it's it's very important not to get consumed by that. Um, the world around us is amazing. I think the World Health Organization did a study in 2014, discovered that it was the most peaceful year in the history of the world, 2014. Um, anyway, the point is, let's just be a bit circumspect about some of the forces in our culture that tell us that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, ISIS is taking over, we're going down the toilet. No, no, there's a lot of things that are honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And um, when we're, as quality musicians, as musicians of excellence, we want to um, exalt the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and uh, Tim Keller calls Jesus the beauty of beauties. I love that. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Michael. Fantastic parallels there for everyday life, isn't there? About you know, discipline and creativity and spontaneity as well. Uh, so Erin Harrison, bringing it home. Create Month is coming to a close today. Give her a big clap. She's done an amazing job. Thanks. I, I feel like I've been up here rather a lot lately, actually, just you know, spruiking the whole creative thing and here I am again banging on about it. <laughs> um, some of you may think I'm a bit of a show-off actually with all of this stuff and I'd like to say, yes, I am. And I would also like to say, so should you be. 
And I mean that in all seriousness. See, God has given me a gift and it's been quite a process for me personally. Firstly, to value that gift, to recognize how to use it um, in a godly way and, yeah, to, to really put a value and say, this, this is my gift, people. This is how God works through me. And each and every one of you has one of those. Why aren't we showing it off? Um, Lara Archipov. How'd I go, Nadia? Yeah, yeah? So Lara, who really doesn't like attention to be drawn to her, so sorry, Lara. Even Lara, if you ask her to show you that bling and ring on her finger, she shows it off, doesn't she? Because her betrothed gave it to her. Your betrothed has given you beautiful gifts and we really should be showing them off, just like they're these beautiful blinging things on our fingers. And so 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In all of this creative month, I never once wanted to bar people. I wanted it to be inclusive and say, all of you are creative. And I've probably said it way too much, but all of you are creative. And let me just redefine the idea of creativity. Creativity sometimes cuts people off and it makes them switch off and go, oh, I'm not creative, so I'm not going to listen anymore. Creativity is just the activity of making, the act of making. We can all make something. We, in fact, in our everyday lives, we all make something. Um, and creativity is often embodied by musos, artists, because it's so obvious what they make. It's so obvious that they, they're making, they're in the activity of making when they're making beautiful music or when Chris is um, potting. And it, the creativity, the act of making is so obvious, so it's often embodied, embodied by traditional artists. Let me give you a different example. Bella Fitzgibbon will be the first person to tell you that she's probably not the most creative traditional person. However, um, in after-school sport, which my kids attend... I see her teaching these children, a whole lot of children actually running around, and I see her making students, these little munchkins, feel, every single one of them, feel like they can succeed. Now, I never had a coach or a PE teacher or anything like that that ever created that feeling for me. Never made that atmosphere. In fact, I'm not a particularly coordinated person. I always just went, ugh sport I will get out of it in any manner that I that I could when I was at school I don't mind it now it's a bit of fun but at school I did not want a bar of it because nobody made that atmosphere for me Isabella Fitzgibbon creates an atmosphere where everybody is included and everybody feels like they are valued and they can succeed Bella Fitzgibbon is creative so wrapping it like that I want to challenge you guys where are you creative what is your act of making? Um, some of you may feel like, oh, okay, I've got this little thing, but it's a little bit small. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to show it off. I don't know, you know, you're not quite sure. But what you have is enough because he gave it to us, because he's enough. And so when you figure out, and all of you have an idea of what it is that God has given you of what you carry 
Because the end of that 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You guys are God's grace in its various forms, each carrying a different facet of who he is. And when you are in that act of creativity, that act of making, you're releasing a facet of God's grace into the world. And so what you have been given is enough. But I say all this, and it links to what um, Michael and to what Chris was saying, not for my glory, only for his. Not for my glory, but his. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, let's not be like the people who built the Tower of Babel. It says in Genesis 11, 4, And they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and it will keep us from being scattered all over the world. So they were innovative. They were creative. They had gifts. They were collaborating. It was like Google on steroids. So, but it was their pride and it was their, their hearts were not for God. It wasn't for his glory. It was for their own. And funnily enough, the thing that they were building it for, which was they wanted to make their names famous so they wouldn't be scattered over all of the earth, God scattered them over all of the earth. So I want to say this. Show off your gifts. This whole month has been about this. Each and every one of you carries the very presence of God with you. And he puts in every single one of us a different facet of who he is and a gift to show everybody else. Work in it. Show it off. But for his glory and in communion with him. Like Chris said, if he's creating to make something and it's got to have a whole lot of meaning, it loses its meaning. The Tower of Babel got scattered to the ground. If we create and we are in that activity of making, whatever it is, and we are doing it in communion with God, letting him lead us, letting it flow out of our relationship with him, then that's not a Tower of Babel. It's a beautiful temple. And it's a temple that signifies God is here. God is in this place. God dwells here. And so I just want to close on that. I just want to leave you with that and leave you with be challenged to value your gift. Be challenged to let it flow out of a relationship with God. Partner with the Holy Spirit and be obedient with that. And, and just know that each and every single one of you carries a valuable aspect of God inside them. And that's what this creativity whole thing is about. So... Um, Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you that you make each one of us beautiful, creative people because you are in in and of yourself beautiful and creative. Lord, I pray that you will reveal to each and every one of us, without a doubt, what your gifts are to us where you want us to go, how you want us to use what you've given us, Lord God, all for your glory. I pray that you'll just, you'll put a fire in our hearts to be obedient to you, to listen to your voice, 
to show people who you are, Lord God. I pray that we will be bold and radical. I pray, Lord God, that we will just be pleasing to you. And I pray that you'll show us how to spend more time in your courts. I just pray a blessing over this whole congregation, Lord God. May we be pleasing to you. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c 3 Church. Dot Narara, dot net.